And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us, as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate, when he had decided to release him. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One, and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that as Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Father in heaven, thank you that you have made us in your image, that fearfully and wonderfully you made us in our mother's womb, knitting us together. Show us what it means to be fully human, to follow after our Lord Jesus, your son, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and Lord, to literally live in this communal dance and always outpouring love of the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We pray this in your name, O oh God. Amen. Welcome, everyone. It's good to see you. Happy Easter. Wait, Jay, Easter was April 1st. No, well, yes, Easter Day was. But don't forget, Easter is a 50-day feast. It's a 50-day celebration. And if you're like me, you need some discipline in order to celebrate. Does that make sense? I know I normally don't seem like this, but I'm normally kind of dour and down and I need some help to be chipper and excited. I need someone else to plan the party so that I can come and bring life to the party, I've been told. So, don't forget that Easter is a 50-day celebration, that it's a matter of discipline, that we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord. And it's a matter of God's providence that we're in these scriptures tonight. Now, we're going to be in these moments of resurrection appearances where Jesus will appear to his disciples. And it's kind of confusing because you're, you think, wait a minute, nobody was here. But then all of a sudden, who's there? Jesus. Yeah, it's always the right answer to say Jesus. So there he is, Jesus. And they're startled and they're afraid, we read in Luke 24. And they think that he's a ghost, he's a spirit. So even back then, ghosts were popular. And he said, no, really, it, I'm not a ghost. Touch me. Ghosts don't have flesh and bones like me. And then, and then he says, oh, by the way, do you have any food? So we see that we have a picture of our future life in the future kingdom of God when Christ comes again and, and recreates the new heavens and the new earth, when we'll all be together. That's what we would call heaven, if you will. So in heaven, if, if what Jesus shows us is true, in heaven we'll have bodies, but they'll also seem, they'll be different. They'll be glorified bodies. Not only that, though, 
we can eat. So there's something happening there that's like this earth, but not quite like this earth. It's glorified. It's glorious. It's beautiful. It's almost like Jesus is giving us a picture of what it means to be fully human. It's as if Adam and Eve, maybe they, maybe they still sinned and deviated, but still there'd be a, a need for this glorification where man, God became man so that man could become like God. And we see here this picture of what it means to be fully human in Jesus. And I want you to notice in Luke's account of the resurrection in Luke 24, what does Jesus talk about when he's talking to the disciples? Man, Pilate, that guy was a real jerk. Can you believe those religious leaders and rulers? No. He goes back to the scriptures. And he says, you see, after they get over the fear and frightfulness of realizing, oh, it's not a ghost, it's only Jesus. And after he eats the broiled fish, which I love that it's broiled. I'm not a huge fan of fish, but I love to broil things, so that's cool. After they get over the shock and awe, then Jesus teaches them and he says, you see, everything that was written about me, this is verse 44, in the law of Moses, so you got one section here, the law of Moses, the prophets, remember Peter just said lots about the prophets in Acts chapter 3, the prophets and the Psalms. So you're telling me that everything written, things that are written in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms, they're all pointing to Jesus? Yes, that's what Jesus says. And then you have this beautiful sentence. Verse, I think it's 45. Then look at verse 45, page 3 of your bulletin. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. Now pause there. There's not a period there. There's a comma. But we're going to put a period there for a second. Can you imagine what that would have been like in that moment to be with Jesus? Remember, you're scared. He just ate a fish in front of you, but you aren't sure where he came from. He tells you that everything written of him in the Law, the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, that it had to be fulfilled. And then he opens your mind to understand the scriptures. And we realize that the event of Jesus being born, of living in Galilee, of being crucified, dead, buried, all the things that we confess in the creed, his resurrection, his ascension that would happen shortly hereafter, the outpouring of the Spirit, all these things are not a deviation from the plan like, well, this didn't work. And Peter's really clear about this. This is exactly what God had planned. In fact, the whole history of Israel, the whole history of the world, the whole created order hinges on this moment of the resurrection of Jesus. So bear that in mind. Now, remember Peter? Remember on Maundy Thursday, those of you who were here, and Peter is all spiritual, and Jesus, you know, he takes off his outer garment, and he puts on a servant's towel, and he's going to wash everybody's feet. And Peter says, no, Lord, you may not wash my feet. Because Peter's like, my gosh, this is, this is the Savior, this is the King, this is the Messiah. He's going to do what not even an Israelite servant would do. He's doing what the lowest servant of the household would do. 
I will not let him wash my feet. And do you remember what Jesus said? Peter, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. You have no inheritance, no share. And then Peter, in his famous way, we love him, we love you, Peter. He says, oh, well, then not only my feet, but my head, my hands, you know, all of me, Lord. And remember that Peter's response there, we said, was a moment of religious enthusiasm that comes not from the regenerate soul, not from the person who's been born again, born of water and the Spirit, but it's a religious enthusiasm from a person who is still totally unaware of their, the depth of their brokenness and the depth of their pride. Now, when I read, that's a quote from Rod Whitaker, who's a professor at Trinity School for Ministry. Now, when I think about that, I think about my own life. How often am I like, oh yeah, that's what we want. Let's do it. Come on. And I have this sort of enthusiasm. Peter means well, but it comes not from a place of new life, new covenant, new birth. And it most assuredly does not come from a place of stillness. We sang that song earlier. Be still, my soul, and remember what you know. The life of a disciple. The life of someone who wants to be fully human. Who wants to follow after Christ and and to abide and keep in step with the Spirit, as St. Paul says in Galatians. The life of somebody that looks like that has to be, A, first of all, aware of their own, the depth of their own pride and brokenness. I think I'm just beginning to scratch the surface in my case. But secondly, it has to come from a disposition of silence. Not necessarily that you don't ever say anything, but there's a stillness. There's a way that you offer yourself to God and to others that's not in this unregenerate religious enthusiasm but is authentic it's part of that being fully human now let's look at peter in particular remember peter had had his moments after he refused jesus to wash his feet and then he said well well jesus not only my feet but everything else and jesus rebuked him jesus predicts his denial three times And so we remember that Peter not only did that, but he denied the Lord three times that very night before the sun come up. Now, fast forward to Acts chapter 3. At the beginning of Acts chapter 3, Peter, James, and John are going to the temple. And it says that it's the ninth hour. It's the hour of prayer. Remember that old song, Sweet Hour of Prayer? I think I had to learn to play that when I was a kid on the piano. The ninth hour is about 3 p.m., The hour of prayer is a pretty reliable indication that when the morning sacrifice at 9 a.m. and the evening sacrifice at 3 p.m. or this ninth hour, whenever those sacrifices would be offered, people who didn't live in Jerusalem and, and people who were scattered all over Israel and maybe elsewhere where there were synagogues, they would gather for morning or evening prayer. Now, Peter... James and John, after the resurrection, after the ascension, after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, you know, after crazy has broken out all over Jerusalem on the Feast of Pentecost, they're going where? To the temple. The same place that Jesus said would become obsolete. The place that would be destroyed. 
But they're going, when? At the hour of prayer. So these good Jewish men, who now are filled with the Holy Spirit, abide and remain in this rhythm of morning and evening prayer. Now, it just so happens that when, when they're going to this evening prayer time at the temple, they see a man by the beautiful gate, at a gate called Beautiful. He wants to be healed. There's a miraculous healing. And that's where our passage in Acts chapter 3 steps in. And I want us to look at what Peter has to say, especially in light of who he was. Peter was the denier. Peter was impetuous. Peter was quick to speak, quick to be enthusiastic in a religious way. But now, look at Peter. Verse 12, he addresses his fellow countrymen, men of Israel. Now remember, this is fairly close to the Feast of Pentecost, so according to Luke in Acts chapter 2, they're God-fearing Jews from, quote, every nation under heaven. So every nation around them where, where Jewish people were, they were in Jerusalem. They had already heard the gospel preached in their own language, and they thought the disciples were drunk. It was only nine in the morning, the morning hour of morning prayer. But they weren't drunk. It was is the gift of tongues. Glossolalia is the Greek word, where the disciples each had these abilities to proclaim the wonders of God, the mercies of God in a different language. And these men who heard that heard the gospel in their own language. So now Peter addresses them. Men of Israel, my countrymen, why do you wonder at this or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? What's the big deal, guys? And then Peter launches in to do what? To tell the story. He begins at the beginning, start at the very beginning. He starts with Abraham, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So he begins with Israel's origin story. He might as well have been saying, in the beginning, guys... He goes back to Abraham and he tells the story. And what does he do? He tells the story in such a way that Jesus, his death and his resurrection aren't just like these haphazard side points. Oh, well, there was this one detractor guy named Jesus. No, they're the very hinge. They're the very watershed. They're everything that the story depends on. And look what the denier says in verse 13. The God of Abraham, God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you, deli whom you delivered over. And what? And denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. If I wouldn't have been convicted in that moment, I would have been like, wait a minute, weren't you, weren't you the guy that denied him? But in this moment, friends, Peter is different than me. He's different than all of us. But Peter's different than me because if I told somebody that you denied Christ and I had just done it about 50 days earlier, I mean, my conscience, I couldn't do it. Peter is a different man. Yes, the Holy Spirit has come upon him. Yes, he's been restored by the Lord Jesus. You've got to read John 21 sometime. Remember, Good Friday. Remember the song, Peter's Lament, that Sean sang. Remember Maundy Thursday and read John 21. It will bring tears to your eyes. Because Jesus asks these three simple questions to Peter. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. I love you. 
feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. And then the last time, Peter, do you love me? And it's just, I can imagine him just being overcome with grief. Lord, you know that I do. Peter's a different man because of the words the Lord has spoken to him. Because of his experience of the risen Christ. Because of his being filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And because he has this abiding rhythm. At the ninth hour, the hour of prayer, Peter, James, and John went to the temple to pray. He was present to God. He was doing his daily stuff. He wasn't a superhero. He didn't become superhuman. He was in a process, in a journey of becoming fully human. In the image of Christ. and the power of the Spirit. And he says, men of Israel, you denied him. Verse 14. You denied the holy and righteous one. He says it again. And asked for a murderer to be granted to you. Not only did you ask that, verse 15, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. Remember verse 48, Luke 24? Jesus explained all the stuff that was written of him in the law of Moses, prophets and the Psalms. And that it was written that the Son of Man must suffer, be crucified, and on the third day be raised up. And what does Jesus say in verse 48? You guys, Peter, James, John, Bartholomew, and all the rest of you, knuckleheads, you are witnesses of this. Peter is living into the identity, the role, the call that Jesus has said, the risen Christ has said he is. You, Peter, are a witness. And friends, you and I, though we've never seen our Lord Jesus face to face, Though we've never been able to touch him, to put our hands in his hands, to put our hands in his side, we are witnesses. That's part of our full humanity, to give witness to something greater than ourselves. To tell people that, yes, there is a longing deep inside you, and it's not for a bigger house or a better car or a more beautiful family or face. It's a longing to be fully human, transformed and remade in the image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's a long and slow process. It involves praying daily and experiencing nothing. It involves reading these holy scriptures that all point to Christ, all the Old Testament, all the New Testament, all point to Jesus, all point to the crucifixion, all point to the resurrection, this watershed moment of history. It involves reading that and being bored and not getting it and reading it again and sitting in church and listening to your pastor whose daughter asked the other day, Mom, is Dad's job to make people laugh? That's a good question from an insightful young woman. It's a long and slow process. It's a lot like farming. I've never farmed, but I've seen people do it. <laughs> it's long and it's slow. And we see Peter here in it with all of his heart. 
soul, mind, and strength. And we have to ask ourselves, in this journey, is Peter becoming more like Jesus or less like him? Is he growing into the fullness of humanity that Christ came to show us? Or is he going the opposite direction? We know the answer. But pay attention to what Peter says. Verse 17, And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance. Listen, guys, I know that you didn't get it. Because you know what? I didn't get it. That's the subtext, perhaps. I know you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, oh my gosh, they're those prophets again. It's like Scripture means something. I know. What God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that His Christ would suffer, He has thus fulfilled. Now, here are the instructions. Because he can see it on their faces, these men of Israel around the temple who are wondering, how did this man stand up and rise and walk? How has he been healed? Verse 19, he says, repent, therefore, and turn again. Now, the question I ask myself as I'm studying this passage this week, this week is, what do you mean, turn again? Have they turned at all? But remember back in the season of Advent, at the very beginning, of our liturgical year, our Christian calendar? Who went out to the wilderness in Judea, that rocky, barren place, and said, repent! It was John the Baptist. And who went out there? Just about all of Jerusalem and the Judean wilderness went out to John. They repented. They were baptized. And now, those were the same people that crucified the Lord of glory, the author of life, Peter says. So repent, turn again, or turn back, your bulletin says. That, now listen, that your sins may be blotted out. That times of of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. So first of all, in this, this new season of resurrection, in this new covenant era, new covenant is a term that the who? The prophets use. Gotta pay attention to the prophets. In this new season, there are a few things that we see. First of all, there's a release from sin. Guys, your sins are blotted out. I know that we're going to the temple right now at the time of evening sacrifice when an animal is offered up and incense are offered up before the Ark of the Covenant and that's the blood of uh, bulls and goats and they atone for our guilt. But I'm telling you guys, Peter says to the men of Israel, I'm telling you that your sins are blotted out. They are gone. As the psalmist says, as far as the east is from the west, He has removed our sins from us. Not only are we released from our sins, but secondly, there's a relief of our brokenness. Remember, Peter mired unknowingly. Huge blind spot. Lots of self-unawareness. Mired in his brokenness. We are relieved from that. We're healed from that. We see that in the man that was healed. Faith that is through Jesus has given this man perfect health. So it's not just hearing what was said about Jesus. It's not just seeing what happened. There's something that has to happen where it travels from the head to the heart and faith happens. When faith happens, something comes alive in us. 
It's like we become aware of all these things that we've never seen. I've experienced moments, maybe you've experienced moments like that, where faith comes alive and you realize, oh my gosh, this isn't just a, a fable or a parable or a fairy tale or something cool so that Western civilization could have something to organize itself around. No. This is something that all of creation hinges on. So there's a release of sin. Your sins are blotted out. There's a relief from brokenness. There's healing found in our Lord Jesus Christ. And even for us today, friends, there is healing from physical ailments. There is healing from spiritual ailments. There is healing mentally. There is healing emotionally. All of us have been through the ringer one way or the other emotionally. We all need that relief from our own brokenness that comes in this new covenant. But this is my favorite. Refreshing times. Isn't that nice? Especially in a world where you work by the sweat of your brow in this time. Not everything's automated for you. Not everything is teched up. Time's refreshing. There's a refreshment that comes from the Lord. There is a refreshment that comes from the Spirit of God. I hope that when we're singing in worship, that yes, you're singing by faith. You even, you even have to do that by faith. But I hope that you're being present to God so that moments of refreshing and waves of refreshing can break upon you. It's not going to be like that all the time, every time. But every now and then, it is. And you have a moment where you realize how close God is to you. How much you have been forgiven. How broken you are and how great is the transformation that you are going through. Times of refreshing. Repent and turn back so that times of refreshing may come upon you. Friends, this is part of our journey of being fully human. And it's all released by faith. Whether you're believing in Christ for the first time, it's by faith. Or whether you're renewing your baptismal covenant like we did last week, it's by faith. Or whether you're down here kneeling, receiving Holy Communion, it is by faith. Does that mean that you understand absolutely everything? No. Because who of us does? Does it mean that you desire our Lord Jesus and want to understand and that you believe, and oh God, help my unbelief? Yeah. It's more like that. It's more like that falling forward that we see in Peter. But if we dare look back at our lives, we'll see that our falling forward has transformed us in degrees from glory to glory, as St. Paul says, in the Spirit, in God's power. Just like Peter, that denier, that one who acted in religious enthusiasm and got it totally wrong that night of the Last Supper. But in a moment where he's, all he's doing is engaging in this rhythm, this daily rhythm of prayer, doing the hard work of being a disciple of Jesus, of being fully human. In that moment, he's there to offer up the gospel of the Lord. The denier, because of the resurrection, becomes the preacher. And because of the resurrection, those who crucified and killed the, the Lord of glory, which would be you and me, 
we can have a release of sin. We can have a relief from our depth of brokenness. And we can have refreshing times now and unto ages of ages. Let us pray. God, we love you. We don't understand you, but we want to understand you more. We're not quite sure why you love us so much, but we rest in that love. We are still in the presence of this great love. And we pray you, Lord, to transform us by the power of your Spirit from one degree of glory to another so that we could be fully human, so that we could be like St. Peter, Lord, but beautifully and ultimately so that we could be like our Lord Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.